Welcome to episode number 86, guys. Uh, I'm Andrew Coates. To get you, so you can hear my voice and differentiate it from Guido's. Say something. Hey, I'm here. Okay, cool. So we've got Paul Carter joining us today. He's uh, one of the flagship T Nation writers. And we've got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. We love sneaking in political correctness in the fitness industry. We got into Brittany Dawn Fitness and her big scamming thing uh, for social media influencers. And why Paul thinks that the consumers were ultimately to blame. We talk about super normal stimulus like fake lips and asses and calorie rich tasty food and why this stuff is a problem and it's fucking up our mental wiring. We talk about people being afraid to apply brutally hard training and nutrition and why they're not growing as much as they want. Thanks for tuning in. We love this one. Hope you enjoy it. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we've got Paul Carter joining us. Paul is an elite bodybuilding strength coach and one of T Nation's flagship writers. We've had a, quite a number of T Nation people on recently that may have something to do with the fact that I'm now writing for them, which is pretty cool. But uh, we wanted to grab onto some of the guys that we and, and girls that we haven't had on. So uh, Paul fits that bill. So welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Great. It's, we kind of got in a, a conversation before, so we're like, we usually do this with our guests, is we'll, we'll get them on, we'll say all this fun shit, and then we never record it, so essentially we have to stop that to do this, and we'll get back to it after. Yeah, we, is, we got that be a pretty up. sick conversation. But, yeah, so let's get right into some good stuff, so, and this is something that's been coming up a lot lately. Uh, we're certainly living in a different social climate than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago, and older, uh, and the risk of offending someone seems ever-present, especially in our world. Uh, so you tend to push back with your writing about, you know, with, about that, with your writing about training, nutrition, and relationships. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on political correctness in the fitness industry and where it is getting out of hand. You know, I'm not sure as much like that we have the whole political correctness as far as, um, as the fitness industry goes. I think the one thing that I, I see on the daily is just that there is, um, what I'd consider a lot of placating to people's emotions. And, um, yes. that's a, that's, I think that's a big part of this. There's a lot of enabling, um, by people within their, their social media circles where they just kind of give each other reach arounds on the daily about whatever it is that they believe. And that, that's kind of a, I think a, a normal human condition thing is that we tend to gravitate towards, um, people who share our own belief systems. Um, and I think a, a big part is not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily the, the political correctness within the um, within the fitness industry, but from more of a, of a social standpoint. And that's what I think we see more as, I mean, you guys probably have the same way. You're like, well, I would like to write this, but I know if I write this, I'm going to offend a tremendous amount of people and piss a lot of people off. I don't really kind of have that filter for the most part. I mean, um, it, it, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that I, I don't write, I would say, that does fit within that particular paradigm. Uh, there's certain topics I just don't touch because it's kind of what we were talking about before we actually started recording. Uh, for the most part, we're, we're not going to change people's minds. Um, and most people, and you think about even yourself, for the most part, once you develop a certain set of principles or ideological beliefs that you live your life by, or whether it's training or your own relationships um, or how you approach things professionally, 
um, we don't tend to change our minds until um, usually a couple of reasons is number one, until something we either hit rock bottom or something cataclysmic happens that forces us to kind of reassess how we got, um, you know, into uh, in, into this shitstorm, and that we kind of have to make adjustments in order to kind of ascend out of that valley. Um, the other thing is when somebody gives us, uh, it's not challenging. And I, like I said, I said this before we started, was uh, when you tend to push them onto somebody really hard a belief and, and they have an antagonist belief to it, they tend to double down or you tend to double down, right? Like somebody comes at you hard, um, rather than listening, we're thinking about what we're going to say and then we just double down on our particular stance. So what happens is, um, and I read an article about this, about this very topic a few weeks ago. It's about our value system. And we don't tend to change our value system until somebody can present us an alternative to it that actually makes sense to us. So one of them was about this uh, this black guy who actually went to KKK rallies. And he actually got a lot of, of guys to leave the KKK early white supremacist group uh, because he, he didn't go there and protest. He actually made friends with them. Yeah. So when he gave them an alternative reality that would actually open up and broaden their mindset, that helped change their belief system. So one of the things I try to remember that um, black guy getting KKK eyes or white supremacists out of that particular, then that's a strong ideological mindset, right? Like that, that we have, like even in the social paradigm that we live in is people create this deeply ingrained um, belief system that they have and it's hard to move them from it. So when you attack them on it, when you feel attacked on something, the, the first thing, your first response usually is the basic human condition response is to defend yourself. But if somebody can actually sway you out of that part, presenting you a different reality about what that means or context association, that's what we tend to move. So go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, I, I don't want you to this. We can move this over into fitness ideolo mm -hmm. ideologies, nutrition ideologies. Everything you're saying applies to that. You get someone. It, yeah, all of this stuff. I've written a million times that there's so many parallels between lifting, uh, life, nutrition, all this stuff. It has because, and that's all because we're we indoctrinate ourselves within a particular way of believing, and then we don't move very much from that. Like I said, until we get an alternative theory presented to us that actually makes sense and causes that paradigm shift in our life. I think part of it too is a lot of these arguments tend to, like, if you don't like the person. They tend to get out of hand anyways, regardless of ideology. So, like, that's that. No, that's, that's true. Like, if there's somebody that you don't like that posts something funny, you're not going to tell them it's funny. You might laugh and and <laughs> and, uh, and quiet, but you don't uh, you don't actually you know kind of give them a, a thumbs up on social media about it, but you might think that was funny. But that's true. Is that we we tend to uh, if we don't like somebody personally, then we often tend to not like their ideas either. Not because maybe their idea doesn't make sense, but we're, but we're not open enough in order to accept that in as a, as a potential possibility. Yeah, or even like meld the models, because even if you think about the black guy at the KKK rally, like if they if he befriends them, it's going to be harder to have that, I guess, um, cognitive dissonance, because you, you see that your whole model just got blown up. You're like, I like this guy, what well, fuck? That particular example, I think this is true, is actually came up in a book uh, called The Holy Shit Moment. James Fell wrote it, and about shifts in your identity, and that's how people can actually go from being massively overweight to making major life, lifestyle changes, actually just adopt a different identity and then align your behaviors within the identity. If your identity is someone who has friends who are of a different racial group, then it's now inconsistent with the identity of being a member of that, you know, bad organization. So Yeah, and, and his, one of his comments about it, which I thought was really poignant, was um, a lot of the guys that he 
befriended had actually never known any black people in their life or never had any real conversations with them. I'm not saying they didn't know, but they had never had a relationship. So when he developed that relationship, that caused the paradigm shift in their life that you know, the same way caused a, a complete change in how they believed, how they thought, and they had association now. And that's a that's a big thing when we don't have association association with something wrong. When we, when we do develop association or context through experience, that's when we have the paradigm shift. Whether it's about training or whether it's about life or relationships or nutrition or whatever, but we have oftentimes we have to experience something to actually understand it. That makes me think too. There's another point I, I think is valid: is it humanizes people as well. I think in that example, it humanizes a group that were dehumanized. In that example. And it's a good reminder when we're interacting with people who have different belief systems in fitness that remember that don't dehumanize them in your mind. Keep them human. Remember this yeah. is a person who. I, I, I tell people this all the time. I was like, when they come, I get, you know, if people want to come at me about something. I'm like, look, argue the subject. You know, don't attack me. If you have a problem, I was like, debate the topic, but don't attack me as a person. And I mean, I still get it. And here's the thing. I've spent so many years studying psychology now is that like, for example, when I, I see a guy that won't like refuses to actually just debate the topic and just calls me a dickhead or an idiot or whatever, I know that that means that there's something I wrote that's actually bringing out a secure insecurity in him. Oh, yeah. So I don't necessarily take it personally because I actually I don't go around and troll anybody online or throw out barbs or whatever. I'm like, I'm so far past that. And so when people are doing it, when it does happen to me, and it's pretty rare anymore, I used to be far more uh, inflammatory and polarizing um, than I am now. Uh, I, I, do, I hope that I got a little bit wiser and I definitely got more mellow uh, as I aged. But when that happens, I, I, I generally do think like this, whatever it is, it's something I wrote in the past or something I said brought out an insecurity in that person. When that happens to me, I've done enough personal development to go, mm, that's rubbing up against something in me in a way it doesn't feel good. I need some introspection there about why that is. Yeah. And that's how you that's how you develop. That's actually how you become a little bit more of a complete person and a little more whole is not taking it personally, which is one of the ways of the four agreements is like don't take anything personally. And when you stop taking things so personally and actually understand when something rubs up against you that doesn't feel very good, that's actually should cause you a moment for pause to say, why is it that, that that's bothering me? What insecurity is, is that actually bringing out of you? So before you respond with, you know, vitriol, you actually take a moment out to pause and say, what is it about that that, that makes me feel that particular way? Well, and generally in what we'll call disagreements or stuff that does happen in these types of posts is both sides aren't coming from that level of understanding of themselves. And that's usually when the problems occur. Because if everyone had that introspection, we would probably get a lot further on a lot of these topics. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I got called out a few um, a few years ago by an article I wrote by uh, Alan Aragon. And uh, uh, Alan uh, uh, asked me to come over and debate the topic. And we, I think it was like six hours that we debated this particular article, but it was super, super professional. Um, and by the end of it, like we, like we, there was a lot of respect for one another. Um, and I remember Dave Pucci and Al, I don't know if you guys know who Dave is. Um, but Dave, um, Dave said, wow, he said, this is the most respectful debate I've ever seen on nutrition in my life. But, and it sucks that we don't have more of those. Um, and that oftentimes, um, these discussions turn into proverbial cat fights, especially a bunch of, you know, amongst the men. Where And at the end of the day, I had to remind somebody the other day, I was like, man, I was like, stop debating, you know, over, like, we're not hearing cancer, man. We're just lifting weights and eating food, okay? Let's let's kind of get this back into perspective a little bit, too. 
Well, actually, we should. I when I write these things, I sort of put them in order. But you just hit on something that actually was one of our later questions, so we might as well go right into it. And it was a post mentioning a phone call with Nick uh, Tuminello, who's yeah. a friend and another Tunisian author. And uh, let's see, and he was yeah, he was a recent guest on our uh, on our show as well. So Nick talks about avoiding arguments on social media and valuing conversations with his peers, in particular private conversation to have exactly the kind of discussion that you're having. So let's just jump into what you feel is the value of having those kind of relationships and conversations. Uh, well, there's a, a multitude, there's a myriad of things that I could go into um, there. I think just talking from a male perspective, um, and I deal with this a lot and I write about this a lot, is that we're um, and this might seem like it's off topic a little bit, but I'll, I'll try to tie it all back in. Um, a lot of that pertains to what I consider like we have a lack of what I consider like tribal community amongst males anymore, um, kind of kind of globally. Right. So I wrote an article, I think it was about a year ago, maybe talking about the overwhelming um, epidemic we have amongst oppression. Um, and, and men, we don't do as, as good of a job as connecting with one another anymore on a friendship level, opening up to each other on an emotional level. I saw an article while back that men are doing cuddle groups. I do not support or endorse or condone like cuddling with a bunch of dudes. That's just me. It's not for me. But um, I do think, like, for example, having those connected conversations, whether we're talking about um, my ideas that are related to like lifting weights or nutrition or just stuff that's going on in our lives. We've gotten so social media has actually made us less social and, and more disconnected from one another in a very authentic way. Um, so I, I've really tried to use those times, those conversations to not just build rapport about our ideas related to lifting, but make sure that as I develop a friendship with somebody, even if we haven't met in person, because, you know, we end up kind of knowing a lot of people um, through social media now. Uh, but don't actually end up developing relationships in real life like we used to before the Internet came along. Um, and I think it's actually hurt us in more ways than it's helped us in, 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 in some regard. Um, but as far as like those relationships, what they mean is they go along. It gives us opportunities to uh, to kind of develop a larger social footprint uh, as males. So as we start to kind of trust each other um, in males that and that happens, um, then we feel like we can be a little bit more open. And we can kind of circumvent those processes that we have that lead to depression, isolation, loneliness and those kind of things. And I, I just don't think it's really talked about enough. I, I'm really thankful to some guys like Michael Phelps and Dwayne Johnson, uh, that those guys are kind of bringing this stuff to light. I had a friend of mine who, who contacted me a couple of weeks ago and a very good friend of his committed suicide. Um, really high level, um, was, a was a high speed military operations guy. was later a firefighter. What we'd all consider like that, you know, alpha male type, you know, get it done kind of thing. But the fact was, emotionally, he was so restrictive, did not know how to articulate himself well, as far as how he felt emotionally, did not know how to just say, man, I'm hurting, I'm weak right now. So what I, what I, how I'm tying all that back in together is, I think uh, we as men, whether it's in the fitness industry or whatever, just the average guy, it, I think we need to do a better job um, of developing those relationships in our life, those friendships, those tribal communities that we have. So the kind of the fitness industry is as we develop with one another can re be representative of that particular tribe, but developing deeper um, relationships, um, you know, kind of uh, deeper communities with one another so that we have those outlets. And because to me, like saving a guy from, from killing himself is far more important than talking about um, proper leg drive on a bench press. 
So, but you can get to those those places by connecting through these means. Did you read the book uh, "The Mask of Masculinity" by Lewis House? You no, I haven't read it yet. It, it became this super popular book, maybe about a year, year and a half ago in the fitness industry. And whenever the fitness industry blows up about a particular book, usually I'm like, "Oh God!" And it sounds like one of these, cli- you know, on the surface, it sounds like one of these cliches things about demonizing all masculine, uh, toxic masculinity, as in like all men stuff. Not at all. It's actually a really good book. And it says a lot of the things that you just talked about. Lewis is a, I believe he played in the NFL and he got hurt. He was just down and out and and he's now a big podcaster. But it's actually a really, really cool book to explore a lot of the tough stuff you're talking about, particular men and our inability to, the way we bottle up feelings and we're not really good at, and society sort of suppresses this stuff and tells us that it's not okay to to be a certain Well, it's it's, it's one or two. Like we're we're kind of living in a, a, in a paradox right now as far as men goes, right? Because a lot of us were raised by fathers who very were very emotionally restrictive and told us to man up, don't be a little bitch about everything that came along. And let's not, I don't want to downplay that. There are times when I think telling somebody to man up, for example, like I had somebody come to me um, who's really struggling with his marriage and he just won't have the hard conversations with his wife that he needs to. And I said, dude, you need to man the fuck up and have those conversations with your wife to fix this, okay? I don't have a problem. But it's really difficult for men to say to other men, look, dude, I'm like, I'm lonely. Nobody wants to be that kid in the cafeteria at lunchtime that's eating by himself and say, hey, this doesn't feel very good, right? Like that's considered like a sign of weakness. And that's how we end up um, kind of in emotional debt, um, so to speak, is that we're just not willing to look at another guy and say, dude, I'm lonely, I'm hurting, I'd love to have a friend to go out and like do stuff with. We miss that. Think about the times of years when you were a kid. What was better than getting up on like a Saturday, you know, and finding your buddy and riding bicycles all day? You had that that tribal connective thing that we have as men. And that's why I think you see a lot of that in football. Guys get out of football. It's like the guy you're talking about. You have that tribal community and then you get out of football and you retire. You're not connected anymore. You're not you're not going to quote unquote war. I don't, I don't want to overuse that, but you're not going to yeah. battle. You don't have a joint purpose in your community, right? And we lose a lot of that um, even though we're connected with people through social media. And I mean, that's a totally different topic. I think we're, that's on there. We're talking about super normal like stimulus. That's exactly yeah. where this goes, though, in, in terms of like what I'm thinking. Like, because everyone thinks that they have that connection via the internet. You don't. We had this talk. Why do we have video? And we have video <laughs> so we can have a conversation and see things and have social cues. But like not having the video is a much different experience <clears throat> than having it. And that's the same thing with texting and social media. It's like everyone thinks they're connected to everything, but they're not. Like it's it's no. Think about this, man. Um, People like to brag about how they don't answer their phone. Yeah. Like you'll see these memes. Like like people are like my like my best friend Scott. Like Scott just calls. We don't text. We like we'll text, but we just call each other. Like we actually made a point to just like just call each other like normal freaking adult human beings. I don't understand why people brag anymore about being uh, so emotionally and socially closed off. Like, why can't we just pick up a phone and call each other? And somehow, man, for decades, um, you know, from the time the telephone was invented, people was were okay with picking up a telephone and calling somebody's number. Um, and, you know, like, if you met a girl, back to that, I don't know how old you guys are, but if you met a girl when I was growing up, you didn't have cell phones. You had to get her name. You had to get her number. You had to call her house. Yeah. And then her dad answered the phone and be like, who the fuck is this? And he would be like, this is so-and-so. And I'm scared out of my mind just for the phone right now. And I, But I'd like to talk to your daughter because she's really cute. And so the thing about that is what I think that developed in those times was that process of kind of overcoming all those insecurities that you had as a guy, right? Like even with like dating these days, 
guys, listen, I get on the guys about this all the time. I'm like, dating now is really weird because you have apps and you just swipe left or right. I've never been on a dating app. And um, and then, or they get on social media, find a girl and stalk the shit out of her for weeks or months. But when we were growing up, if you saw a girl, you're like, I might never see this girl again. And she's really pretty. So you had to overcome that that fear of rejection, you had to go up and talk to her, introduce yourself. You had to at least make yourself seem interesting to her. You had to ask for a number. So think about all those processes that help put a certain amount of character, character development in play. They've all been circumvented now. Now you just stalk a girl online, heart like some of her stuff, maybe drop into her DMs after a few weeks and you know, tell her how, how hot she is. Whatever. I don't know what guys do with that shit. I just think it's the wrong way to go about it. I grew up in the same generation as you, so I'm 41. Dee's a little younger. He's about 31. Yeah, he's 31. But I didn't have my first cell phone until I had a cell phone in university. Like I was in early, early 20s. And it was one of those Nokia things, one of those big brick ones. You you could throw that at someone, hit him in the head. It could fall off two story building. I had a bag. I had a bag phone in my car. Oh, that was like one of my first ones I had. Like I had a bag phone in the car. Yeah. I had that, but I was already married by that point. <laughs> and like I wouldn't even turn this thing on except to make calls, right? Because no one else had fucking cell phones. So <laughs> That's true. now exactly. now it's like just texting and all this stuff you're saying about not calling each other. I'm actually like a little screwed up and, and conditioned. I had two relationships in a row, really long ones. Uh, or over long periods of time where they just, you didn't call them, right? That's just not how they were wired or the circumstance. So therefore just used to just text only. And in one case, so it's a great way to get into fights when you're not even trying to fight. It's trying to resolve shit through text because there's no, there's no tone, there's no context, you know, and you text something and somebody reads it in a completely different voice in their head than how it came out of yours. Like it's really terrible. I yeah, the girl I dated uh, a while back, we get into terrible texting fights because there's just there's no way to really connect appropriately through it. That's, that's just a lead by for shit. So let's go to you mentioned supernormal stimulus. So let's let's go into this one. Um, and you made a post recently about supernormal stimulus of likes. So and I think social media and modern life is just feeding us <laughs> supernormal stimulus. Mm-hmm. And it's really messing with this. And this is stuff that are exaggerated things compared to founding nature. And fake lips and asses is a great example of this stuff. Uh, calorie rich, tasty food that was never found in nature in our grandparents or sorry, our great grandparents and older generations. Certainly. Yeah, that's what, hold your thought there. That one always hits me because that's why when the whole flexible dieting crew, they're if it's your macros guys, when they talk about how, um, you're excluding food sources. I'm like, motherfuckers, this shit did not exist for thousands of years. Somehow people were able to survive through fruits, vegetables, you know, like potatoes and like some meats. Like paleo really didn't miss the mark a whole lot when they first got created, right? It really wasn't that far off. You're just like, if you can't grow it or kill it, don't eat it. And there's like, oh, well, that's restrictive. I'm like, dude, because somebody tells you you can't have Twinkies, that's not restrictive, okay? It's really not. There's a lot of food to eat out there, I swear to God. Swear to God, the grocery store's filled up with food besides Twinkies and donuts. So, go, yeah, I, could go, I could even go on that. It's like paleo, just everything always goes down. I don't know, maybe it's Bad House who said it was paleo. Every every diet makes everything go down to cookies. Like paleo. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how the fuck? It all comes back. Every diet goes, but how, are, how do cookies fit into this dietary paradigm for me? Exactly. For the most part, right? They fucking made it happen. Like, paleo is actually... It all gets bastardized over time. All of it gets bastardized over time. Like, remember, paleo started off pretty good, right? Yeah. Like, it really was. It's just like, 
You, you know, you eat some sweet potatoes, you eat some fruit and vegetables, yeah. you eat some nuts, you eat some meat. I'm like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like, that's kind of hard to beat, right? And then it became about, let's make paleo cookies. I'm like, man, I, I don't even. And then flexible dieting was the same way. It started off um, that, hey, if you want to have a Pop-Tart, no big deal, just fit into your macros. Then it later became um, 400 calories from a donut is basically the same as 400 calories from, like, salmon and vegetables. I'm like, <laughs> no, dude, you guys need to stop. You guys need to stop your your like you, you, you bastardize this to a degree that just doesn't make sense anymore. But go ahead. So we're talking about super normal. Yeah, well, I'll add to that. It, it, it's the extremists who are always the loud ones who kind of screw this stuff up. And it shows up in fuck religion, politics, in nutrition, training. And it, it's really not representative of most people. The fucking paleo cookie crowd are the, the you know, the, the extreme ones, the flexible dieters who are cobbling together as much shit as they possibly can. They're not the norm either. They're the nutcases. But they seem to represent anyone who is a different camp. They're the ones that they use to represent the bad guys to actually, you know. I had that very conversation with somebody. So this is what happens on both ends of the spectrum with that, is that both sides take the most extreme person from the other side and try to use that as the example for what they're preaching. I'm like, guys, you you know what you're doing. It's kind of like when they to like, so when people who are anti-keto, they take the keto zealots who say stupid shit like, well, you eat fat to burn fat. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And you guys know there's lots of smart keto people out there that don't preach that, but you're not taking what they're saying. Like I'm friends with Dominic D'Agostino, who's probably the, the the number one keto research guy in the world. He doesn't say shit like that. Say it all. It's the science, right. But they'll take these idiots who say stuff like carbs make you fat and eat fat to burn fat. And you can eat all the delicious fats and protein that you want, or don't eat a lot of protein, but just stuff yourself with lots of lard, and you can eat avocados all day long, and you'll just burn fat and get shredded. I'm like, okay, don't take that guy. Don't talk about that that guy. guy. You know that guy's full of shit. (laughs) Like, we can't educate everybody, but what we can do, what we can do is we can pick the guys who that we know that, you know, are presenting truthful information and use them as the barometer. Right. Like that's what we should be doing. So then the same thing with the evidence based community, they'll take the bros, you know, who ascribe to, you know, like some theory that we know is just not true. And then they'll they'll say, OK, that's what all all bros are like. OK, we know that guy's an idiot, man. Like we, we understand that. Don't use him. Can we all get closer back to center? Like, no. Your bro said that, <laughs> and he's part yeah, of your crew. Yeah, if you want to know, like, just go to bodybuilding.com for person. You'll find plenty of those guys. If we don't like, you know, and, but they I mean they need to be educated too. But the problem is we don't you we don't want to use those guys who are on the far ends of the spectrum as the beacon for you know those ideologies, whether training or nutrition, right? It's I mean, so much, that's kind of the key. It's so much easier to win an argument that way, though. Like, that's kind of where this all ends well, up going. That's crazy straw man arguments. But that, that is the uh, argument. Like, that, that's why these things happen. Like, the, again, the keto, you got to eat fat, the burn fat. Like, that's, if I was, like, in an argument point, I wanted to win to the death, I'm bringing that guy out. Like, I'm going to... Exactly. You know, like, I'm going to crush this guy. I'm going to look like the smartest man alive. Uh, just let me get this guy that says you can eat 9,000 calories of avocados a day and still burn fat. And it's like, I'm just going to... I'm going to smash this guy with science. But here's the thing. They'll just cherry pick their studies on that side, too. Just, yeah. you know, and, and to show... So there you're just going back and forth and everybody's left confused. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't do a good job of kind of finding that middle ground where, like I said, where we're taking the guys who really are presenting good stuff and are kind of the beacons I would consider like different guys in different areas. 
it's kind of even like with Alan that I mentioned earlier, like Alan was kind of the godfather of if it fits your macros. He was the guy that started it. He even thinks now that it's gotten so stupid that he can't stand it. Well, and the only people that I've seen actually, it was a Joe Rogan podcast, even though Joe, Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan, that podcast with, um, Diagostino and, um, Lane Norton. Norton. That was actually one of the best, not even arguments, just discussions in general, because they didn't leave much <clears throat> off the table. And you have to sift through it as a use end user to figure out what was good, but they, they talked about all the points. And they took the two right guys, because like anyone who loosely follows Lane might characterize Lane as just this bombastic nutcase who is just anti-keto, anti-keto, but if you actually listen to him, he's not anti-keto. He's not, a, he's actually not anti-keto he's friends at all. He's very good he's friends, friends with Dom. Yeah, well. he's good friends with Dom. They lifted together. They obviously are friends. They, but now Lane does have a lot of fun taking the, the real worst examples and highlighting them, but he does intersperse it with, with scientific based understanding of what keto is, where it works and just Tries to defeat the crazies. Yeah, I'm not even keto, and I find myself having to to, uh, to defend the keto lifestyle more times than not because of the stuff that people on the other side of the paradigm say. They're like, oh, my God, it's so unhealthy. You're going to die in four years from clogged arteries from it. I'm like, okay, dude, no, that's just not – Okay, that's not right either, okay? That's not right either. You guys aren't right either. And people who do keto intelligently and effectively, they're, man, they're just not pouring bacon grease down their throat every day as their main fuel source, okay? That, it's just not happening either, okay? I'm not saying there's not some people that don't do that and take it far, but I'm saying the people who actually spend enough time learning that those particular diets like that, you know, and, and are intelligent about that, you know, it's not like we're talking about with Dom. I, I know a bunch of keto people um, because of that, but I end up having to do defend people basically on both sides of it because like I said we have the zealots that are extreme on either end I think we got off of this topic because we're talking about we super normal we'll, and diets we'll go back to that but it keeps opening up stuff this is the way these podcasts go yeah they always we've do. talked about this before here but usually the people who tend to get in the ones to be wary of are the ones that identify with a, a a nutritional ideology as a tribe. If it's in their Instagram profile, uh, totally, totally, you're totally going, yeah, ones, I, you totally do. I would probably walk a little carefully with that because it's such an important part of their identity. And when it's part yes. of their identity, then when you challenge it, you're attacking who they are. You're attacking who they are. I, I actually wrote that somebody asked me that question a while back, and that there was almost the exact response I gave. I said that the tribal thing we talked about earlier, it really is important to us as people. We want to have, we feel like we have a belonging, something like that we build principles or ideologies around, right? So people do this with training. They do it with diets. They do it with all sorts of things in their life, right? So when you when you attack or somebody becomes like a real big keto zealot and they really buy in, they create that strong, you know, inner identity about it. Then when you challenge that, it's like you said, you're not actually challenging the principles of diet. You're actually challenged, challenging their identity and they become very defensive about that. So that's why people, you know, you know, somebody does keto and it quote unquote works for them, whether or not um, that ends up becoming, like I said, they ascribe to becoming a part of that kind of keto tribe, keto group, because you meet up people, oh, like, well, I eat keto. Oh, I eat keto too. You know what that's like. So it's like, so that's how we actually connect with other human beings through identity, right? Through identification. So if you do keto or you train in this particular manner, it's kind of like, you know, guys used to, you know, train West Side. You know, you don't see this. I don't, I don't see this much anymore, but I'm kind of removed from the powerlifting scene. Yeah. Uh, this is the way I used to, but like the whole thing was like, where are West Side? So you need to check, you need to train at West Side and you don't even, or just use some West Side principles. 
even if they don't make you a better lifter, for a lot of those guys, the part that made training feel better was just feeling like they were kind of part of something. Yeah, and they worked harder because Louie said to do this and blah, blah, blah. We're West Side, we're hardcore. And they just end up working harder. Because <laughs> what they did. Yeah, okay, so the guys that you said, I remember, dude, years ago, okay, so before raw powerlifting, so I was competing in powerlifting for like a decade. And um, I remember I was a member on this message board. Message boards used to be the shit. People nowadays, they don't get how valuable message boards were back in the day for learning, right? They were really great. Oldboss is still, um, is Oldboss still going on? Or is that the one you're going to I do. About? I don't know if people learn through message boards anymore, but that used to be one of your primary ways yeah. for exchanging information. There was a lot of great information exchange on message boards back in the day. People yeah. didn't realize. Um, but I remember I was, I was a, a member of this one forum and I was just switching over from really training for just muscle mass into training for pure strength. And there were a lot of guys using raw guys using West Side uh, systems and West Side's developed for gear lifting. Okay. And these guys were using like the exact protocols that they were using West Side for their raw stuff. And I was like, dude, how does that any of that make any sense? Like if you're a raw squatter, you you're, you shouldn't be living off a box. You need to develop your raw squat. That's how you're going to compete. You know, and they would be doing, um, and a lot of, since then, a lot of the, a lot of the ideologies in West Side, I think, have been changed, and there's not as much dynamic work anymore, there's more repetition work, uh, and stuff like that. But I kind of knew that then. I was like, well, why are you raw guys, like, treating, and I remember people telling, like, they would just repeat stuff without, like, thinking about it. They would say, like, well, you need to, when you're bench pressing, you need to use your lats to pull the bar down. I'm like, no, dude, I think gravity takes care of that shit. Like it just it just comes right down. Yeah. As soon as I unrack the, the, the bar, like I don't need to use my last to pull the bar to me. It just, it's right down, man. It just comes right to me. So that's kind of um, yeah. That's that's the thing. I think people like to have um, just you know we like we've you know hit this a few times. People like to have like um, a belonging, and that gives meaning. So without meaning to something that you're doing, it feels irrelevant. It feels empty. So in order to get meaning to something, if you have a, if you like to have a belonging or community or whatever, it deepens that meaning. And that's why, for example, the keto people or whatever, these people get defensive because you're attacking their identity, you're attacking their community, you're attacking their tribe. And that's kind of the difference. This has been a good episode. We keep getting into good places. So I'll draw you back down where you kept trying to go. To actually the, the super normal stimulus, dude, we can crush that because there's so much... Um, <laughs> about that you brought up the food which was a good point and the food part a lot of people don't get and you talk about that we've developed we've actually created uh, manufactured food that we know lights up the reward systems in the brain now don't agree with these people who say shit like well it lights up all the reward systems the same as heroin does yeah dude of course but so does riding a freaking roller coaster because it's exciting it feels good and sets off our dopamine okay so like that's another example where people take things like to the next step without kind of analyzing it it absolutely is true that hyperpalatable foods light up the reward sensors in the brain. And the reason that is is for survival. That's a part of evolution. So you take a highly uh, calorically dense food, right? That represents survival to us. People yeah. don't think about this. So you put like a big, big plate of broccoli on one side and a big cheesecake on the other. Yeah, we want to eat the freaking cheesecake because it's got more calories and energy and survival, okay? So that's that's really simple. This one's not hard. So they actually developed it. We know for a fact that the, the fat, salty, sweet combination in foods and the way that it's it's manufactured uh, by these big companies absolutely is kind of addictive, right? Nobody eats one fucking donut. Nobody eats one tasty donut and goes, no, nah, man, I'm good. It just uh, I don't know who that does that. Maybe a psychopath or a communist. I don't know. But the point is. 
is is that if I buy donuts, I know I'm going to eat all of those donuts. I don't buy like no. Who goes into the donut shop and buys one donut? Has it ever happened? I've done it before, but I actually like have that kind of. But you knew, but you yeah. knew, you knew, you knew the playing field. Yeah. Like you, you but I, mean, I also rarely fucking eat donuts. But it was a battle. It was a battle. Yeah. Say no. Okay, so what? So like, what's your food then? What is it? What's the one food like? You know, if you start eating, it's. It's well, going to be a fest. I'll go, I'll go buy apple pie. And yeah. we're talking those big fucking apple pies. And I will <laughs> mentally sort of say, I'll cut them in four. So I eat it in four pieces, okay? Right. And I get one after a workout that day. Or like I'll get it in the evening. So I'll have one that evening. And I'll have one after my workout next day. And I'll have one the next evening. And then I'll have one for the following day's workout. So the pie lasts yeah, two days. Yeah. yeah, see, like you guys, like I learned how to eat when I was really, really young. And anybody who's been around me, for the most part, I've never seen anybody that can eat like I can. I know people like I. I was uh, I've been training uh, uh, one IFPB pro for years now named Fred Smalls, and Fred said the only person he's ever seen that can out eat me was Kai Green, and, and he's been around some big eaters. Kai apparently can eat like another planet. I guess Kai ate one hundred and fifty dollars worth of food at IHOP Jesus. one night by himself. He recorded it too. That's, $150 of food at IHOP. That's, that's fucking terrifying. We were in Spokane last week, uh, sorry, this past weekend at a fitness event. And I think two of the nights after out for a social at midnight, we're out eating pancakes in this place. We actually went back the second time because it was so good the first time. And it was like, it was called a short stack. There were these two big pancakes. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what they looked like. So I ordered two of these, so four of them. And I actually only got through three because fucking pancakes are filling, especially if they're heavy with syrup. This shit is filling. And so the yeah. next night I just ordered two, but like, Jesus, how the fuck do you eat $150 worth of food at IHOP? <clears throat> yeah, the, yeah, he told me Kyle was the only guy he's ever seen that could out eat me. The other, I guess, the other big eater is Branch Warren. Um, but there's, I've, yeah, I, when I get started eating, um, like it's just, it's, it's a fest. So I have to really be cognizant of what I'm picking, right? Like I, because I know, like if I start eating something, like oh well, there we go. Might as well just get on it now. Yeah. So getting back to the super normal stimulus. So we talk about food. So that that's one, right? This is super normal. We talk about the likes. So we we already know we've seen some multiple studies that show that likes give a little bit of a dopamine hit. Oh yeah. So you guys, if you're honest, and we'll all be honest here and transparent, like you think about what it is that you're going to post on social media, and if it gets a million likes and a ton of shares or whatever, that shit feels good. Let's just be real about it, right? Okay. So there's an addictive property, and they even they've shown, like through social media, that the way the algorithms algorithms are set up now um, is to want you to interact more on social media to keep you engaged on it. So I mean, that's a manipulation of your neurotransmitters, right there. Okay. So if we have, if you take somebody who needs that dopamine hit because life kind of sucks at the time. Um, they're going to be on social media more kind of getting that hit. The problem is then it cultivates um, that behavior pattern. So now instead of going out and seeking out things like to do in life, cultivating deeper friendships, you know, with your guys or working on your relationship with your girl. And that's something that I, that I bring up a lot with a lot of guys I work with. I'm like, why are you out? If you have a girl, why are you out liking pictures of half naked girls every day? Like, why? Like, if you, are you in a relationship with a woman that you claim to love and respect? So if you are, would you, if you were out in public, would you walk up to another woman with your woman in tow and tell her how hot and sexy she looks? 
Okay, if the answer to that is no, because you say you love and respect your woman, then why are you not consistently liking pictures yeah. of her half naked? Dude, I do not respond. Like, thirst traps is such a massive turnoff to me. Like, I don't think Joe Rogan talked about this one time. He said, we got some girl out there that's got like 8 million followers just showing pictures of her ass all day. He goes, we got to study this. Why is it such a phenomenon? And I agree. Like, I, it's not that I don't see, like, a woman that I, and my girlfriend's right here. So that's how transparent I think. And we, <laughs> her and I have this conversation. She's she's Canadian, actually. Where's she so, from? So, um, babe. Yeah. There you go. Where's she from? There you go, right there. Hey, <laughs> say hi. Uh, hi. So they're asking where you're from. Oh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. All right. We're in Edmonton. I'm originally from Newfoundland. They're in, they're in Edmonton. Yeah. Oh, I lived in Edmonton. She lived in Edmonton. Yeah, St. Albert. Really? Uh, we're, in, we're, we're physically in St. Albert right now. Yeah. They're physically in St. Albert right now. Oh, nice. You're yeah, nice. <laughs> Cool. Small world, right? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, toe markers. Anyway, um, so um, her and I have had a lot of conversations about that because I always want her to feel like she's respected um, with how I behave or act or things I like on social media. So we have those open conversations. Um, and if you're with a partner who doesn't care that you're out liking a bunch of you know pictures or whatever, but we all have natural insecurities. Um, and whether people want to admit to them or not, because what happens is on social media, the first time you say like, oh, I don't want my girl out liking half naked pictures of, of dudes. Somebody's like, well, don't be so insecure. I'm like, no, that's, that's between me and her. Or she tells me, she's like, you know, if Joe comes to me and says like, I don't, you know, I, I it, it makes me feel disrespected if, that if you comment a certain way or whatever, I don't argue. I just say, okay, babe, I won't do it. Like, that's really simple. That's, I feel like that's was so simple. Your partner comes and say, I would appreciate it if you didn't do this. I feel disrespected. When it, when it happens, you go, okay, I love you. you know, like what I need to do to make it right, I promise it won't happen anymore. Wow, that seems like such an easy thing to say. And then people end up fighting about this shit. I'm like, if you claim that you love and respect your partner, then it shouldn't be a very difficult thing to actually show them that through your actions too, when they come to you and express this to you. But yeah, the supernatural stimulus, right? So coming back to, for example, that's a big reason why. Why do you think that the booty training is so freaking out of hand with women now? Okay, let's, let's be honest, dudes. Let's be honest. Women only want to train their asses to give them big asses for the most part. I'm not saying all women. I don't want to use blanket statements here, and I try to be cognizant of when I'm using absolutes. Why are you looking at me like that? I don't mean you. Anyway, um, so you need to post booty up. We... Um, but the majority of those women like that, right? They think booty shots, you know, that's that's what a lot of these women who built those massive followers just show pictures of their butt all day, right? I don't even know. I don't even think it's about men. Like, I think it's because it's about fame at this point. Like, I've I been do. I totally do too. But here's the, so then here's yeah. the thing, and I think that was one of the things you guys were going to ask me about. Okay. But I want to stay on the super natural, super normal stimulus here thing for a minute too. Um, and the other one's porn, yeah. and I'm I'm adamantly anti porn. I'm adamantly anti porn. And I think we're living in a weird ass time when if you say you don't watch porn, other dudes look at you like you're weird. I'm like, how, what? I'm like, you could, you have a woman in your house? And they're like, yeah. So you're all hiding away from her, jerking off in a sock somewhere <laughs> in secret. Like, and you think I'm weird. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think so, dude. Like, and we know, here's the other thing. It's like, we had studies came out looking at the gray matter of the, of the brain, certain parts of the brain, gets rewired when you watch porn. Absolutely. It's a super normal stimulus. So what happens is, is that, and you guys, you know, I've gone through this with a lot of men. It's like, it starts, so you're looking at porn, and then it has to get um, 
and basically more hardcore, more hardcore, more hardcore over time. Because what happens is, is that stimulus is you know you don't get st- stimulated, okay? And so that rewires your brain. And I've worked with guys and done 98 groups and stuff. You'd be shocked at how hard it is for some dudes just to go a couple of weeks without looking at porn. And what's happening is the whole point of supernormal is the normal when it comes to food. But, right, it, it gets downregulated. It, it, so now, like when a guy's with a woman. So then yeah. people have a very difficult time with relationships, interacting with yep. relationships. They have a very difficult time with subsisting off of food that would probably be classically paleo or just the, the basic stuff that becomes very bland. And for lack of a better way of saying these people actually become quite broken in a sense. And I think Absolutely they don't understand do. yet, although I think we're seeing it, the, the impact and the problems with social media. There is a lot of information to suggest iGen, the generation younger than millennials, uh, well, their rates of depression, anxiety are, are higher, statistically much higher. And that's causing a lot of problems in our society for them and for everybody else for that matter. And they're the first generation to grow up with devices in hand and, and probably be on social media at a younger age. And it, I don't, we weren't wired for this stuff. We weren't. No, dude, you're so, but that was a, that was, that's one of the things to say. We're not wired to, for, for basically the environment we're living in now. We, we're not, okay? We're not wired to be connected to thousands of people a day. Uh, we're not wired um, to be able to kind of stave off like these this food selection we're talking about that's, that's uh, the, these hyperpalatable foods uh, that light up our brains the way they do. We're not wired for that. Um, I watched a, um, yeah, we're wired to move. Um, I don't know if you could, like watch the video. of a TED talk the other night that my buddy sent me that talked about how the, the way um, that we're actually physiologically built to actually run. But people say, well, don't run, um, you know, because it's bad for you. But just there's so many supernormal stimuluses that we deal with now. And what the problem is, is when you push back on that, which I do consistently, yeah. when you push back on that, everybody else thinks you're weird or you're odd or whatever because they've become so accustomed to living in this particular lifestyle. Well, and our, the lifestyle is hostile. Like in terms of what we're developed for, everything's essentially a threat. In terms of like you drive to the store, there's so many threats out there. And then highly palatable food. Like we weren't designed to have food that easy or likes or dopamine for that matter. Like dopamine's at our fingertips right now. Dopamine used to be for getting a woman to appropriate with and survival because you're out hunting food. It's the push you to do stuff that's going to keep you alive. Now you can exactly, it. yeah. We're basically wired physiologically. When you look at physiological, physiological wiredness to survive and procreate, you know, we do have psychological needs that get met in there that need to be met in there to keep us healthy. But we're circumventing out getting those psychological needs because we get them through these supernormal stimuluses that don't actually create happiness. And you talk about. The degree of depression and unhappiness and anxiety that we're dealing with now, one of the things that we know, know for a fact, scientifically, psychology-wise, is that the more options that we have, the more unhappy we become over time. Which is insane. It just, it just, it just makes like we have more options now than ever, right? Like the options are unlimited. Well, and and that's the I think that that's the main thing is that it's just understanding that is the cure. Cause I think, well, not the cure, but just that idea of being awake to that. There's all these threats. Like Facebook's essentially a threat. Like they're designed to basically get money from us through these likes. And if you get people to understand that they can at least know. So they override it. They're probably going to choose not to like it, it's easier not to, but I think the, it, doing the hard thing is the best thing generally and making that automatic as opposed to just being an influx of stimulus and, I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. So you're talking about the infocus stimulus. That's actually where it's going to go next. So that's the other thing now is that we don't even know what, what to give a shit about no. uh, anymore anyway because um, we, we're hit with one tragedy one day 
And two days later, it's an afterthought because there's something else being pushed on us that we're supposed to be paying attention to. Like, what is it right now? What's the big tragedy right now? Notre Dame. Notre Dame crisis. All everybody's talking about. I promise you in three days, it'll be something else that everybody's talking about. And so what happens is we don't even know what to give a shit about anymore because every every week there's there's a social problem um, that we're supposed to – everybody's supposed to care the most about. They raised a billion dollars. The fucking Catholic Church does not need a billion fucking dollars. <laughs> they, well, yeah, they, they, nobody actually knows how much the Catholic Church is worth, but it's been estimated, I believe. I was reading an article the other day. It's, it's some astronomical value. Yeah. I want to say it's like 140 billion or right. something. Are they like the biggest bank? And they're like the second biggest real estate holding. Like they don't need your fucking online donations of a billion dollars, but just because everyone should care about that. Like no one the cares only, about that. I've, got, I've become cynical in that regard. In that, anytime I see something like this, I actually wonder what the hell is actually really going on. That's going to come out later during Absolutely. this time. In other words, so why are we being distracted by something? Because there's something bigger going on. Because it usually comes out like that later. I'm watching this show called Blacklist, and my wife is joking about it, but she's like, yeah, I think everything's a conspiracy now. I'm like, I, you know what? I wouldn't even put it past. Well, like, I'll, I'll, t- I'll turn this a little bit, because <clears throat> what we've seen is, in the wake of it, a bunch of people posting pictures of them in front of the Notre Dame Cathedral, because it was personally meaningful. And then you get a bunch of people who are criticizing those people and kind of being shitheads about it. And I actually think that it <laughs> has... If it had personal meaning, if it meant something, you go see it, and you're grateful you did, okay, cool. I got no problem with that. I think the people who are being the real fucking assholes are the ones who are shitting on those people. It's like, you know what? It, it, it's not about any of you fuckers. And then there's this big thing now with all these memes, again, shitting on the donations. Oh, the oh, no, I was gonna say and, or like, oh, we should be caring about yeah, donating money to you know, the Water in Flint, Michigan. Those are not the same fucking thing. And just because someone and, actually, well, the donations. What I saw, the donations are coming from a few select, like billionaires. Yeah, really, was, was, there was like ten million from one dude. There's a lot. Yeah, it was like Salma Hayek's husband. I think it is. Yeah, he made pledge. Like, was it a hundred, hundred k euros or whatever it was for? Which I don't, I don't know the conversion rate on that shit. But either way, it's a lot of freaking money. Um, but I mean, I, my thing is, I, I have to ask this. I always ask, um, and I do a pretty good job of this now. What is the impact on my personal life and my happiness and my own growth and fulfillment each day? Zero there. I have, it's, it has zero effect on my life. If the cathedral gets burned down or there's a bunch of donations, on, like I don't see any of that money. Um, I, I, I don't have any plans to go see, to go to Paris. Um, I don't, you know what I mean? So like there's, it did. It literally has zero personal effect on my life. So I, one of the things I really have gotten better at with this stuff is not is truly when I say not caring. It's me. Well, if it doesn't have an impact on my life, the people I love, people I care about, who I actually have any emotional investments in, um, I tend to just let it go. I think we should. I, I think this is actually good because we're just talking about shitting on things. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, we're, we do, we do, we're going to be hypocrites in this idea. We're, right we're totally, you know what, like, you got to have fun with this shit. Because, like, you know what, that affects my happiness. Because if you can't have fun. Okay, you wrote a post in response to the Brittany Dawn whole fucking thing where she's. Oh, yeah, we can get into this. This, oh. is, this is okay. So, yeah, I do have some investments. Yeah, you, you felt like social media and the customers were ultimately to blame. And I, I yeah. want to explain this because, like, it does tie this whole thing. So, oh, it does. <laughs> Like your thoughts um, on the whole fucking shit show. Okay, so why do I feel like that the majority is like the customers? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this one to me is not hard to explain. 
if if you were going to go off and buy a car next week and knew you were going to buy a car, would you spend any time researching the reliability of this car, what it should really cost, um, you know, kind of like other reviews of the car, so forth and so on. Most people, like they'll say, yeah, they just don't walk into a lot. I'm, I'm, some people do it, of course. But most people, if they're going to make an investment in something, spend a little bit of time finding out if that's a wise investment. Okay. I have a kind of a, one of the few problems I do have is because I have, do have, kind of have a massive problem with the fitness industry kind of as a whole anymore because of these, what they call influencers. And I, these influencers get seen as educators by dipshits who go and they follow them. And most of these influencers, uh, and I could, I could, I'll start, I could start listing off people if you want me to, because John Meadows and I had this conversation a while back too. They put out zero um, content that's worth a shit. Like, does Bradley Martin really put out anything that you're going to learn anything from? I mean, he, like, dude, I just don't like people will say that's entertainment. That's great. But the problem is these people that build these huge followings through entertainment purposes often get seen as educators. Yeah. And there's a massive difference between being, say, an educator and being an influencer. But the problem is the influencers who have grown, that they're the ones that usually have the biggest following because they put out content like this Tajuma food guy. Like he's just like flipping around and all looks like stupid shit all over the fucking place. But he's got like, I don't know, like a million followers. Like, I don't I don't get it, dude. I am not entertained by you know, his monkey antics. I like so that kind of stuff to me. I'm like, I don't get. But here's the thing. He could go off and maybe he does know something about training or does it. I don't know. The point is, I don't get why these people get spearheaded to the front when we have so many really smart guys in the industry that can actually help people. I want to see dudes that, somerset, like doing somersaults and shit. Like, well, he does the splits, but get this motherfucker with like five million followers and let him change the world. And, and so here's the here's the other part of that. So then sponsors see how many followers somebody has, and then when you go to an expo or whatever. They're the ones who boost this Brittany Dawn at half a million followers. She was in boost. She was with supplement company. So the average person sees this and thinks, well, this person has to know what they're talking about. They, they, they have to know, like, they got to be, and they spend no time educating them, educating themselves when their whole social media is right there. You can go look and see what they're really about. And it doesn't, you don't have to be a genius to have some discernment about whether or not they're actually giving you something that's um, going to help you. Or if this person is really just kind of living off of half naked pictures or making like stupid videos where it's like you're, you know, you're squatting X amount on like on a wobble board, you know, or where you got, you got literally got like chicks hanging off the bars, you're doing incline presses. Like, I don't understand. I, I, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm old now, but I don't understand what's so entertaining about that shit. I like, I watch Marvel movies for entertainment or I like, or I, you know, I, I don't know. I just my idea of entertainment are people who are, quote unquote, entertainers. But the weird thing about the fitness industry is these other people who really are nothing more than I would say are just, I don't know, ass clowns. They're clowns. Like, they, are, they are like not in not in a derogatory way. They're clowns. Like they're just doing well, whatever. So I'll ask. No, I, I don't even mean that. Yeah, it's probably a better word. Like that, that would be they'd be offended. But I'm like, yeah, they're just they core gestures. Right. Yeah, like yeah. they just make like like shit and they're like well we're just having a good time i get it but the problem with the fitness industry is they see this massive problem that gets built and then they get put up on this pedestal and i'm like you guys aren't really like you're not like the guy that wants to learn how to increase his bench press that you're not the guy he needs to go to like or the guy that, that wants to actually learn how to diet to you know get in shape for his beach, beach vacation 
And the problem is these influencers all have some shit to sell, but they're not educators. They, they're often not very intelligent about a lot of the shit that you need to do to get better. The guy that I, this, this one might just few people off. The guy I kind of single out uh, for a lot of stuff is C.T. Fletcher because C.T. setting barbells on fire and doing all kinds of crazy dumb shit. But I think a lot of the, the bodybuilding issue really like and respect this guy. But I'm like, all right, this guy is a fitness entertainer, but I, you know, I wouldn't take anything he has to say seriously. Yeah, and you know, you know what's funny is I actually know CT, um, and like he's his online persona and offline is he couldn't be more from different. He is so soft spoken and nice and like friendly, like offline, and that's a big part. It's like I'm completely authentic. Who you get like right now in front of you is like the way I write, that's the way I'm in person, whatever. So it's like somebody's like, well, Paul's an asshole. I'm like, well, then you probably wouldn't like me in real life either. If you don't like how I write. And that's okay, dude. I, I don't need, I don't need everybody to like me. I, I got past that years ago. I don't need that affirmation. I need for my girl to love me and like how I treat her. I need for my kids, um, to know I love them and, and, and for us to have a good relationship. But I need for people in my inner circle. I need to have a good relationship there, but I don't need the whole world to like me. Um, and a lot of that when, and CT didn't even start off bad. I don't know if you guys remember the initial video that kind of launched him. Do you remember that where he was just talking about when he had his heart attack and was eating yeah. down stuff? It was actually really good. And then it transcended like everything else. It got bastardized from there where, yeah, it's like, like barbells on fire um, and stuff like that. There's a ton of people at the top um, that had just literally millions. It's so weird to me. Like uh, what's his name? What's um, Brock O'Hearn who literally ended up getting famous because he put his hair up in a fucking man bun. Like, that's where we're at. That's how low rent we've become. Well, and it's, it's, it's not their fault. Like, that's, it, I, I think that their intent was to do that. Like, they figured it out. And I think that we're, it's just, it's a weird world because other people put labels on them where they just wanted to get famous and make money and all that shit. Like, I'm for sure most of them would say that. But then, because of their fame, now they're educators. I don't even know if any of them we, want to. We've got this guy, I think he's actually from here. Uh, who got famous because he does shirtless videos of him working out with his cat. Okay. Yeah. And, and he is, you've got a massive following because he would like do curls with his cat in his arm. He's just got some tattoos. I think he's good looking. And yeah, no, just people eating that shit up like crazy. That, that's what it takes to get famous. You don't have to know anything about it. All goes cats. back to the point that like we weren't designed for this world. You know what I mean? Like that wouldn't have been a possibility before. Yeah, we created it. No, and that, that's exactly well, going back back to like the yeah the Brittany Dawn stuff and what I was getting at with that and why I blame the consumer is because they do zero due diligence, right. then spend money, and then they act like they were swindled. I'm like, no, if you would have spent fifteen minutes, fifteen minutes like looking through and reading, you know, and educating yourself, educate yourself. Look, if this is going to be about your health and wellness and actually looking at like, understand it's an investment. So spend more than just like, so stop following all these clowns and actually hard, follow though. some people that do educational stuff. We talked about dopamine, but dopamine is a, it, it, it tells your body. It's a predictor essentially of what you're going to do. And it, Everything that we do becomes easy and we get a dopamine hit for being doing the easy thing. The easy thing is to do no research. Like we've almost been, unless you're awake, we've been conditioned to do the fucking most efficient thing ever. And that's to go on Instagram, find a workout, pay someone $20, order food to your door so you can do the workout at home based on these booty chicks, have the food come to you. Dude, I saw that the other day for, for a meal company. They're like, um, and I don't remember how they framed it, but I just remember I had to scroll past it so fast. It's just like, uh, milk so inconvenient to milk up. I'm like, oh yeah, dude, throw some chicken breast in the crock pot 
you know, and like hooking up a, a, a pot of rice. Yeah, that's so hard. You know, that's so difficult. I'm working on something about that stuff. Hopefully I'll have it out pretty soon and it'll be funny. Is that what you're going off of? Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I don't have any kids. Um, meal prep companies. My point is, like, don't don't present it that way. Just at least say, is it convenient? More convenient to just say, make an order and have somebody deliver. Absolutely, but don't say doing meal prep is hard. It's not hard. No, and it ends up becoming the predictor on all the other shit. Because if one thing becomes easy, it's just a fucking domino effect. Then you're not going to work. Yeah, my last enough. article about knee was as one way. One of the ways you can get some extra need in, you know, a non-exercise ac- activity yeah. for is doing your meal prep. Actually, getting around in the kitchen and doing your meal prep. You know, and then that's the other thing. So you can you use that time to cultivate to learn how to cook better. So if you're a dude, if you're a dude and you actually learn how to cook up some delicious, tasty food that meets certain macros, and you're a single guy. Man, that's a good trait to develop when you start, for example, you start dating. What's going to blow a woman, a woman away more than bringing her over and actually cooking her a, a really delicious dinner that, you know, potentially fits into her macros? Let's say if she's fitness minded. Well, I was going to say two things that I, I want to do our, our next question. I, this whole com- t- conversation made me think of the meme. The best meme probably for this is the old I can't remember his name from Futurama and it's the, I don't want to live on this planet anymore meme. And the second thing I was going to say was a quick explanation. Was it Bender? Not Bender. It was the old, the scientist. The scientist. <laughs> I can't remember what his name is. I haven't seen it forever. But Bender would have been good too. About dopamine. <laughs> dopamine is not a happiness hormone or sorry, neurotransmitter. Dopamine is the anticipation it's, of happiness. It's, and it's, it's an excite, it's an excitable neurotransmitter. Yeah. So, and you can actually do, this is actually kind of cool to understand too, is when we fantasize and imagine and talk about the things we're going to do, we actually get hits of dopamine. So, And we're actually less likely to do them. Right. That That's exactly where I was going. That's right. So it's important to understand that you want to accomplish something with your fitness, your lifestyle, improve it, whatever. Shut up about it. And go and do it. Exactly. Go and do it. Yeah, I, yeah you're exactly right. The... the, the um, the worst thing we can do when we have goal settings or we want to see something uh, come to fruition in our life is to tell everybody because you're absolutely right is that it, it um, the imagination that it goes through your mind and telling somebody um, actually creates that feeling of it already happening, yeah. which means we're less likely to go out and do the work to actually create the manifestation of that in and, our life. And, you don't, and Facebook will, will, will alter that by the likes. Like it already, it already fucking happened, and like already you happened. Know that feel it good happened. about it. Feel good about it. Just, just post up. You don't even need to lose the twenty pounds. Just make a status. Lost twenty pounds. But everybody, give me some likes and some love. Yeah, and then you got the anticipation hit, the excitement. Like you've been trained now. Everything you do, and like again, that's it's, it's over exaggeration. But like it, if it happens enough. That's why people end up where they're fucking at. Now let's go into not fucking talking about it, but actually doing our training. Oh, I, I, we should talk about this before like we close up. Is that and we kind of talked about this before, but you've written about people afraid to apply essentially brutally hard training in nutrition. So try hard. Um, is this a symptom of a greater societal problem of being coddled? And, and kind of what's your answer to it or the answer or an answer? Um, yeah, I, I think for, for the most part, um, I think a big part of it is that, wow, I don't know where to go to this. Um, I do, but there's, it's such, there's such a myriad of factors, I believe. Number one, I don't think most guys who who are, are stuck or aren't making progress, I don't think they train very fucking hard. Yeah. And then they get pissed off about that because um, I'm you know pushing up against their delicate little sensibilities. Um, but it kind of comes back to um, 
training really hard does not feel very good for the majority of people. Um, it really doesn't. Um, and I've had, I don't know how many guys over the years train with me like at various times. And I'm not going to do the whole, like I'm a brag. Um, like it's not about like I'm more badass than you. I'm saying they never cultivated that ability to train really balls the fuck out. And so I think that's why this, that this whole, this whole overarching theme of volume um, it's so appealing to so many weak-minded motherfuckers. I mean, I'm, that's, I'm just going to throw that one out there just like that. For the guys who cannot relate, and I, I'll tell you where I'm leaving this, but I want to tie it in together. With you. So for the guys who get pissed off about that, I hope that you do, and I hope that you actually go to the gym and start cultivating your ability to train really hard because when you do, you're going to fucking grow. You're going to get stronger. You're going to grow. When you stop doing this whole thing of like, well, this one says I'm supposed to do 20 sets. So she said, what happens is when these guys believe that that this thing about, well, volume is the primary driver for growth, it's bullshit. And like, like I said, my article is going to talk about that. But they say, well, I've got to do 20 sets for legs. Dude, okay, so now you're going to downregulate your effort in order to meet this arbitrary number that you don't know necessarily works for growth. Because what we know works for making you grow is, is progressive overload and more tension over time, okay? That's what's going to make you grow, not hitting this arbitrary number of sets in a training week. Um, and all of the studies that we've looked at shows that. And I, I think another part is, is that, yeah, we just, we live in a time, I think, where people create these built-in uh, self-delimiters because if anybody else, and this is another huge one, if, if, you're, if somebody is bigger or stronger or leaner or whatever, Fucking drugs, drugs, 100% of the time. It's always drugs. It's always drugs. So here's the thing. You take a guy that's never cultivated the ability to train really hard, or he doesn't train really hard. He doesn't know what training really hard is. Then his body is going only going to only adapt to the degree of the stimulus that it has to adapt to. Okay? Right? You're only, your body's only going to adapt to the degree of the, 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 the level of the stimulus it has to adapt to. So he doesn't grow very much because he's not training very hard. So he doesn't he doesn't grow very much because his stimulus is not very very difficult. So when he sees these guys that look so different than he looks, um, and is they they've grown this enormous amount of either muscle mass or you don't even have to man. When people are you know tell saying that uh, what's his name Hugh Jackman had to be on steroids when he was like 188 pounds, but he was he was you know shredded for his Wolverine room. That took him 20 years to do that. Like if you go back over the Wolverine. Uh, series like when he started off, he looked like he never lifted a weight in his life. By the time the end, like he was just in great shape, he was just really lean, right? Like he wasn't a huge guy. But you still have guys saying, "Well, I wonder what it's, his G eight and test and trends." I'm like, dude, that is not what a dude on G eight test and trend looks like. I assure you. The point is, anything beyond what they're capable of can be accomplished naturally. When I was um, 18 years old, I've been training four years, and I was 215 pounds. When I started, when I was 14, I was 98 pounds. Okay. And by the time that I was, what would I have been in my early thirties, I was two between 252 and 258, totally natural after 20 years of training. Okay. Totally natural. I'd never taken a pro hormone, nothing. And I talked about this with my buddy Scott yesterday. And I said, when I was, when I was coming up to the years, when I looked at magazines, I didn't ask 72,000 questions about whether that routine would work. I, I, cause I didn't have anybody ask. I just looked at something in the magazine and read it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go train like this. And I didn't care if those guys were juiced to the gills. I was like, I'm going to get that fucking big. That was my mentality. My mentality was, I'm going to get that fucking big. How much weight does that guy lift? He lifts how much weight for that many reps? I got to be able to do that. 
That was my mentality all those years. That was my mentality all those years. And so these guys now, if somebody's better than them, they just go steroids. So it's this built-in self-defeatism that these guys develop. So then they don't, they don't, why would you train hard if you don't believe that you can be any better, any bigger, any stronger or whatever without taking juice? Did Mike bring that up? I think Mike Isertel brought that up on our podcast. Was He's like, how do you get shoulders like that? He's like, motherfucker, do lateral raises with 45s. Like, well, like, <laughs> like I do them. And like, you can't do that. When you can, your shoulder will probably look like my fucking shoulder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, that, that's kind of my point. It's, it's like, uh, like, well, dude, you're, you know, like, you're squatting, you're squatting 225 and you're doing it for like sets of 10, okay? I'm like, okay, so I actually have a client, a pretty famous client out of New York. And um, he's like bitching. I, it took me, I've been working with him for two years. It took the better part of a year and a half before he got it. Like, dude, you are not like, send me your training log. I'm like, you are not training hard enough. You're not moving any more weight. I'm like, why is this so hard for me to get through your head? And I told him, I was like, what are you squatting? So like he would be like it's like uh it was like a one fifteen. I'm like, dude, I'm like, they're like children that I'll squat you. I'm like, if you want your legs to be bigger, I'm like, let me ask you a question. I was like, if you could squat three plates on each side for a set of twenty easy, would your legs be big? He's like, Yeah, they'd be huge. I go, Okay, do that. Just do that. Just focus on that. Focus got, on that. I've got a client and, I just posted a video of her yesterday. She's like late 30s, she's five foot one if she's lucky, probably about 130 pounds. She's got 175 pounds on the bar for a heavy single. This woman can handle weight. And then one of our buddies, my buddy Jordan, uh, actually kind of looks like you. He's, you know, he's got the beard, he's shaved head, big jacked up dude. And I think Jordan went and pulled off 315 squat for 29 reps one day on a challenge. And this, mm -hmm. this guy has got some massive quads. He is a thick Wow, imagine that. Imagine, imagine that, right? Like it's not 315 for like 30 reps, and he's got massive quads. That's so weird. I don't know how that would happen. No, it, it's mind-blowing, right? Well, and we kind of got into this even before, and I, I won't ruin all the stuff you're going to post up on your article, but that idea of we talk about strength and volume, but it's almost an excuse for weak people to say like to not train as hard to get something that they want to attain. And it, it just doesn't really correlate like that. And like, you, you looked up all the studies, but well, I'll, I'll tell you why that that's appealing to a lot of people. Um, because math is, is kind of tangible. Yeah. Okay. So if I do X number of sets for X number of reps, that should equal X amount of growth, but we all know it doesn't work that way. But the truth is, is like if I, I do know for a fact if, if I need to grow and I'm, say, squatting like we're talking about, if I'm squatting 275 for a set of 10 now, but I can get to, say, 405 for a set of 10, I'm going to be bigger. Yeah. You have to. I'm going to be bigger, right? Like in, so, like, why, yeah. Why don't they use that logic? Like, and I guess maybe, you know what? It's, well, you, you probably pulled more studies, but I just don't know if that study happens. Because it'll take a while. Well, we see, no, we see that in studies. The Barbalo study was one of the ones, actually, Brett Contreras referenced it uh, recently, too. Um, and it said, you saw the same thing. The, the, it was a five-set group, a 10-set yeah. group, a 15-set group, and a 20-set group. The five- and 10-set groups can kill yeah. the 15- and 20-set group. And the growth, when you look at the hypertrophy, where they did the muscle thickness measurements, basically you see kind of a, you yeah. see the same kind of um, relationship, parallel relationship with the street gains. So the group that had the highest strength gains in certain movements saw the greatest amount of growth in those muscle groups. This is not hard to figure out, guys. I don't know why people want to make this so complicated. What's your thoughts on, like, I was going to just jump in. What's your thoughts on rep speed? Because Ben House is basically doing an in-house study where they're essentially going for volume, but volume with 
low rep speed, which would just be an indicator of strength. Because if you're strong enough to lift slowly, you have to be somewhat strong. Because you can't do light reps till your fucking 50th rep and it be slow. Does that make sense? It's like yeah. Well, here's the thing about that is when you when you use a um, uh, say it, when you use a slower rep speed, especially with concentric, you're gonna you're gonna activate the the um, low threshold um, uh, motor units, right? Like and those are not as responsible for growth. So, I was thinking in terms of like you get to like let's say you do a set of ten and by your last three are slow just from the sheer fact it has to be slow because it it's heavy does that make sense not controlled slow speed but like your reps get slow oh you so, fucking so, going hard okay so what like so a good conversation there is what I what I talk to guys a, a lot about is um is that's what I call setting appropriate failure points yeah. with specific movements okay. So, like, when I talk about training to failure, and I do believe training to failure is basically kind of a requirement at some point in order to grow, right? But it depends on movement selection. So, for example, squats and deadlifts, I don't advise guys. I, I, I advise you setting an appropriate failure point that you consider training to failure. Um, and here's the reason why. is because you take a movement like a squat or deadlift, there's a high degree of neurological output associated with that movement that's going to tax you very systemically if you're going by true failure. And the truth is, the return on the stimulus probably is not going to be very different. Whereas if you leave a couple of reps in the tank, but if you really go to failure, like true failure, where you're not getting out of the rack, which is really rare. But if you, if you were to train that way, the amount of systemic fatigue that's going to occur um, neurally is going to be very dramatic. So you're, it's going to tax you very, very heavily systemically, which is going to be hard to recover from. Right. Whereas you're going to get probably the same amount of growth if you leave a couple reps in the tank, but you hit those last two reps and you're kind of grindy. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah, that one's pretty grindy and you rack it. And a lot of times um, people will watch like a video, like a video of me. They don't understand. Like internally, I know when I'm close to failure. I know when I've hit my failure point, but it might not look like it on a video. But I know if I did two more, I would really tap into my recovery for the week. And you hear that comment all the time. Oh, you look like you had two more. Uh, yeah, that was that. Yeah, I had two I'll, more. <laughs> I'll add this to what you're saying because I, I know you're going here with this. Um, in squats, yeah, take them to failure. There's there's risks certainly. Deadlifts, your form for most people is going to start breaking down. That's going to start looking really bad. You're increasing the likelihood of getting hurt, which then completely sets you back and interferes your ability to train hard. So. There's, there's this also the, the theory, like, especially, I don't really deadlift anymore. I, I, I do Romanians or I do rack pulls, um, and I have my reasonings for that. But the deadlifts themselves, um, I think deadlifting, boy, this gets to people's nerves. I think deadlifts is probably the most overrated movement um, on, on a myriad of levels. And I love that it pisses people off. But when I actually sit down and explain it to them, like, it comes down to them doubling down on that. really Because I'm like, dude, if you just love deadlifting, that's cool. But one of the things is deadlifts, to me, I've consistently found is the most neurological taxing movement um, that you can do. And one of the reasons why powerlifters, for the most part, a lot of them, once you actually have really good deadlifts, they don't deadlift very often. Once you actually learn the movement and you, you've built in um, that ability for – so the, the motor units are firing so you, your body knows them really well – it's really kind of about sparing yourself with the deadlift um, and letting it come to you and letting the moving it with appropriate speeds. And I didn't start pulling over 700 consistently until I stopped pushing those yeah. heavy and trying to pull heavy all times. Um, and like you said something before that, that um, I didn't know where to go from because I get off on deadlift tangents because like I ended up fighting the whole internet on that because the most of the internet, especially the noobs, 
and intermediate stakes. Squats and deadlifts fix every fucking problem in the world. And I'm not saying they don't fix some, but they're not the answer to everything. And, well, people are arguing about that haven't lifted over 700. Like, you've lifted over even 600. Like, you'll have a different opinion of it than your, like, a 225. That's, yeah, that's very true. That's absolutely very true. But, yeah, coming back to the – what were you talking about before that? Because we were going somewhere with it. You were hitting on something. I got off on deadlift tennis. Well, yeah. Oh, I, I know the one thing I was going to say, too, is, like, we were talking about taking things to failure and – <clears throat> you were talking about the fatigue that you accumulate. Certainly with deadlifts, your form starts to break down. If you're going to go push to true failure and even past it, shit like drop setting, do shit on a T-bar row machine. Don't do a barbell rows. Do fucking, uh, you know, a chest press machine. Don't necessarily do that with a bar with collars on it with no spot, right? You got to use common sense with this stuff and not get hurt. Um, I don't know where else we were going with that. So no, that no, that's really good. That's why I tell guys a huge part of like what I teach is setting appropriate failure points. So like with for example, even with like a leg press, um, you know, you go go into true failure. Um, leg press, I think, is 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 kind of okay. Like there's not a huge problem there as long as you got the safety pin side because. Um, the neurological output on a leg press is not huge. It's, it's really not like the mud. Now here's the great thing about like the muscular output on it is right. Like you absolutely, you can destroy your quads, your hands, um, and your glutes even with it, depending on how you're performing the movement. But because you're, you're seated, because you're seated, um, as soon as you stand up, um, you're basically your nervous system is way more activated than say when you're seated or lying down or whatever, that should make sense. It's kind of like the difference between say doing a squat and a glute thrust. Um, even if you're doing a glute thrust with like 700 pounds, the amount of intramuscular coordination involved in it is very low. You're doing a hip extension for the most part, but if you're doing a squat you're literally standing on your feet and there's a ton of intramuscular coordination that has to happen to execute it effectively. Whereas we have a low neuromuscular output movement, like a hip thrust or even a leg press. Think about it. You can take any noob into the gym day one and actually teach them how to do, say, a hip thrust pretty effectively, like right out of the gate. You can teach them to get on the leg press. You know, don't lower it down so far that you you know get rounding in, in your lumbar spine, um, whatever. And I consider those low neurological movements. And so with those, we have low neurological movements that actually have high degrees of muscular output. Yeah, you take those bad boys to failure because... That's where you're going to see a lot of growth. But you have a movement like a deadlift or a squat. Um, even, for example, like I, I don't think overhead press would be as much. But outside of deadlifting and squats, I can't really think of a ton of movements that you can't take to failure safely. Cool. Well, we've kept you a long time. So let's do a couple of quick wrap-up questions we always ask. And uh, we like to get book recommendations from our guests to see what they're reading, if they've got anything that they think everybody else should read. And it can be about anything. It doesn't have to be training. Mm -hmm. He just wants a book. Yeah. It's actually selfish. He just wants another book. To yeah, I'm getting low on the queue, so. He reads um, The Way of the Superior Man is a really great book. I think all guys should read. Does a, a, a really great job of covering a myriad of topics I think a lot of guys struggle with. I would like to write a similar book to it in the future. I can find time. Um, Traveling Light is another good book. Um, it's about understanding how to let go. Um, of things we tend to encumber ourselves with um, that make life more difficult. Um, but I, I always recommend Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Um, whether or not, and what's cool about that book is that even though it's, it's a spiritual Christian-based book, I know so many guys that that don't even consider themselves to be, you know, quote unquote religious or whatever, but love that book. Um, it's a really great book for men. I think that's a really um, 
you might have, I think you have listed three books Andrew hasn't read. I don't, if you, if, <clears throat> yeah. It's kind of an inside joke, but the dude reads like a book a week. It's fucking nuts. That's awesome. I no, know. I, I just, it's way more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I just audiobooks. I just blast audiobooks on two times speed. And, uh, there was Dude, that's such a great When I get that question out of people, I think, okay, these are people that actually think. I actually, when I was single, I, that was the question I used with women. Was I would I did, in order to eliminate them from my potential dating pool, what I would ask them, "What's the last really good book you read?" And if there was even a pause at that point, I'm like, "All right, she's marked off." <laughs> <laughs> and some people like women get like women get mad about that. She's like, "A woman could say that about a guy. We don't get upset. We're like, oh, maybe I should read more books." But if a guy says that, you know, like, about a woman, like, "Oh, well, you're sexist," I'm like, "No, it's like a woman's not reading anything at all." Like, then, you know, she's probably not cultivate, and especially apply that to the fitness industry. Oh, yeah. Um, because you go to Expo, yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys get really, it's just so weird, man. Get, they get um, so enamored by those women that they consider being so hot. And I'm like, and I'm not, I don't want to stereotype a, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of those women haven't, they, they've gotten by so far on how they look. They don't cultivate those other parts of their lives that kind of, you know, um, set them up to actually have really good relationships. But most of the time, though, it's going to be the really shallow guys um, that are that are that They'll are going to be level, man. Like it'll. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, I generally like, you know, I had when I was when I actually started to start dating again. I actually interviewed women, like interview processes. <laughs> so, you know, as your girl, the audience can't see. He looks right over at his girl. So. What book yeah. did she read? What was her book that she passed? She obviously passed. Um, she told me I don't remember. Oh, that was like six months ago, and I actually don't. I just remember she like she did tell me what it was. That was honest. She answered the question, or she wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> but the other, <laughs> the other thing actually I like was she wasn't involved in the industry. That was kind of a, a rule I made to myself because I didn't want to really date anybody that was involved in the industry. And I dated a couple of women with massive followings in the industry, and I was like, nah, I don't think that's for me. Have you read The uh, Calling of the American Mind? It's a bit newer. No. In fact, you know what's even funny is like I haven't even got – I'm going to get persecuted for this. I haven't got around to finishing um, 12, 12 Rules for Life yet. And I need to, I need to just finish that. Even if you've like read it, it's, like, it's pretty good. I mean I, I think it's just a lot of common sense stuff, of course. Uh, you know, On social media, you get our quarter of the industry where some people like it and then some people will live will, 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 will freak the fuck out when you mention Jordan Peterson as if he is the goddamn devil. And they, they I, I, what are you talking about? I love Jordan Peterson. Great. I know. It's a, it's I mean, a great writing. Again, the problem with Jordan is you get the people who subscribe to him like he's the messiah. And I, and, and of course, he does draw in some of the real hardcores on one end of the ideological spectrum. But now we're going to say we're going to start dealing with the zealots again on both sides exactly of the spectrum. Same shit. But then the, the zealots on the other side are freaking out about him and think that he represents everything that's wrong with people. You know what? It's just one like, person. If you can't handle this, is actually what the Coddling the American Mind is about: is when people can't handle different viewpoints and they want safe spaces from that, and they want. To silence speakers of different ideological backgrounds, usually political, but just different belief systems, and they run to administrators to shut this stuff down. And when that doesn't work, they protest and freak the fuck out. So a lot of this stuff—it's actually a very liberal-minded book, but it, it goes into a lot of the, the stuff that's happening in iGen on college campuses in the U.S. and where this came from. And it, it does talk about social media. It talks about depression, anxiety, the rise of 
the culture of safetyism and things like concept creep, where if you don't agree with someone, you're a racist or a phobic, whatever. And that doesn't solve any of these problems or open up discussion. So super book, I'm recommending to pretty much everybody if you care about this sort of shit. So yeah, what was, what was the name of it again? I'm going to write it down right now. Coddling of the American mind. What is it? I can barely hear. Sorry. The coddling of the American mind. Okay. Well, that sounds like I would like that. Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, I think you would actually really appreciate it. It's a pretty well-written book. It's that, it's not this shock schlock stuff that we're starting to see more of like, I love shitting on, what's that stupid book? Uh, uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Right? Like, I love shitting on that book. That's the twilight of our self-help. You love shitting on that book? Love shitting on that book. It's awesome because everyone loves the book. and all Figuratively. Like, I, honestly, half our guests will bring that book up and I laugh every time because he fucking hates it. Well, notice it wasn't in any of my books. Um, first off, I think that, and I like some of Mark's work. Um, I think some of his work's good, but I think we have way too much of that particular fucking ideology going on now. It, like, that's like that's people adopted like that as yeah. their their personal paradigm for life was. I don't give a fuck. I'm like that is like okay. You know what you're going to end up surrounded by a lot of people who don't give a fuck, and that means they're not going to give a fuck about you either. Um, and I, I think there's Mark does some good work, um, but I never bought that book. Um, I actually sat in the, um, I was in a Barnes and Nobles. I was looking as I was book shopping one day and I went through it and yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I, I, there's stuff that I agree with him on. There's stuff that I disagree with him on. Um, but I think, uh, and I, I actually saw him putting out another one. And of course, like, it's almost like he's kind of writing the coattails because the name of it is, um, What's the name of it? It's called something, a book about everything is fucked, a book about hope. And I'm like, so like, okay, dude, we got it. Like your last book was a New York Times bestseller and it was called, you know, the subtle art of not giving, giving a fuck. And now the other one, the next one is called everything is fucked. I'm like, be like, find some originality now. I'm literally turned off by the, um, by the title from the simple fact that I tie in with the previous one, but. Yeah, I would never put that on my book of um, a list of, of must-read books. Um, I, I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I would get out of. And some people say, "Well, the book is about." I've heard people say, the "Book isn't about not giving a fuck." So then, I don't know. Title it different. I think that's. Um, I think that's a potential problem that we have overall these days. Is that most people, you know, like how many times do you see people bragging about that, like? Zero fucks to give. I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm like, okay, great. So intellectually, you're lazy and emotionally, you don't care. It's like, you and Andrew. It's a great, it's a great life that you're going to, it's a great life that you're going to lead. Perfect. See, this is awesome. All right. See, you, you, you confirmed his bias. This is like the best Uh, thing ever. You're the first person that literally took the words out of his mouth the whole fucking book. It's great. I think if anyone anyone listens to this podcast, they'll hear a lot of similarities the way that Paul and I think. So I would would agree. Okay. uh, We always end this, like, obviously, like the the personal plugs, but where can our listeners find you on social media, online, like your writing? Like, what's the best place to find stuff from Paul Carter? Probably Grindr. <laughs> I just wanted to say I thought it was a good joke. I, um, uh, I mean, if you, as far as I know, like I don't write the blog much anymore. So for years, that's how I got started. Was lift dash run dash bang I don't direct people there really anymore because I don't put up uh, really content because I'm so busy writing for other publications now, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It's really I just don't find time between dealing with clients, writing articles for publications, which I, at this point in my life I actually find a little more fulfilling than just writing for myself. 
Um, and I do find that having to write for a public uh, for a publications, anything that's going to be published, kind of keeps me on my toes a little more than just kind of ranting on, on my blog. And I don't really have a lot to rant about anymore. Like I said, I kind of went through – I actually, I actually grew up a few years ago and tried to mature a little bit. So I don't really have a lot to rant about anymore. Uh, but if somebody just does a search for Lift Run Bang, they'll pretty much find me anywhere. So they can find me there on Instagram. They'll find me on uh, Facebook. I don't really – they'll only even find me on Twitter, but I just use Twitter as kind of a, a part of my, my Instagram. Uh, personally, we didn't discuss – I kind of hate social media um, in, a, in a lot of different ways. There's good and bad to it. Um, I try to use it more for educational business anything that I'm doing now, um, it's not really as much of a mixture. Like Facebook kind of more of my personal stuff because um, that's where I will go on and talk about movies yeah. um, or just music or whatever. So I try to kind of literally keep that for my own like, personal stuff. But Instagram, I try to use a little bit more for educational stuff. But I don't uh, I don't even like have like I never like I, I've never even dealt out to get myself a real website. dude. I think I'm the only guy in the whole industry that's never done that. Took me a long time. <clears throat> Finally did it. Got me writing, and that led to the T Nation gig. I just don't even know what I would put on it. <laughs> yeah. That's I, just, I, I don't even know what I put on it. Like, like I, I actually, I do. Like, there, I have a whole vision for my future. Um, for real, like I have a very strong vision, and a big part of it is like delving into these topics uh, for men and helping to uh, get men, you know, kind of into. Um, a, a more um, meaningful direction in their lives and how to cultivate that, how to get over a lot of uh, dysfunctional habits that a, a lot of us have. Um, you got to do I, that because otherwise you're so, just thinking it and you get that dopamine hit. It already happened. Yes. <laughs> no, like this is, this has been something I actually am putting the work in okay. towards and I actually have a tremendous amount of work in, uh, going into. And actually that's funny is like, I actually stopped talking about it for a while um, for that very reason is I wanted to get things going. It's kind of, it kind of got circumvented, um, because I've had some stuff come up in life. Like it's always going to do, I even like my mom passed away a month yeah. ago. So it's like every, uh, every few, you know, every few months or whatever, life tends to throw you a curveball. And I think it's often a way of, um, whether you believe in God or whether you just believe in life's doing it. I do absolutely believe in God. And, um, that does uh, asking you how badly you really want something. In in uh, in life, how important is it to you, really? So it'll be good when but, it gets out. It'll be it'll be very refined, and you'll have gone through the struggles to make it happen. So we'll probably make it pretty good. That seems like a good venture, especially considering the whole conversation that we've had in terms of your growth and your wisdom. I think that that's where you'll have a lot to give in terms of your own message, yeah. so to speak. If you write that yeah. book, I'll read it. So yeah, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. That's 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 a non-starter. I mean, that's easy. Uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in, listening. Uh, I'm really excited that I've actually got the chance to talk to Paul because like, unlike most of our guests, I've actually never gotten to meet him yet. So, not in person anyway. So, go check out what he's doing, especially if this sort of stuff resonates with you. And again, he's writing tons of stuff on Teenage. He's always there. And while you're at it, go check out what I'm writing on there too. So, Paul, thanks, man, for being on here. We appreciate it. We're actually going to... Like, post this up right away. Usually we record these things in advance. This thing is going up within the next, like, 10, yeah, we, 15 we minutes. Up. I was traveling. Yeah, you were, you were, you were traveling. You yeah. fucked up, so. Cool. All right, brother. Okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. I had a good time. Yeah, Clearly, yeah. we went on for almost uh, more than an hour and a half, so yeah. I hope it was as good for you as it was for me. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> Hang on for a second. I'm going to shut up. Shut up and sit down.